0: Welcome to the FOI Equip Podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free, live, online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready, join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip.
1: Greetings, everyone. This is Peter Cologne. I'm with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and it's my honor and privilege to share with you again a brief study on the adventures of biblical archaeology. Today, we're going to deal with the stones cry out. And I'm going to use uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 38 through 40 as a biblical basis to the rationale of what we're going to be looking at this time here. This is the time when Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem, which is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. As he rode in on the donkey, people began to cry out, and they said, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then, of course, some of the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day from among the multitude, said to Jesus, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Then Jesus responded and answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And I'm going to use that verse here to kind of show that even though God is revealing himself, even to this day, that one of the ways is that the stones that are actually, or the items and artifacts that are being excavated from the earth are crying out who Jesus is. So this is what we'll be sharing and looking at the time that we have together. First of all, let's deal with that these people really exist, you know, that we read in scripture. So we're going to start off with this fellow here by the name of Baruch the scribe. Now, Baruch described was a secretary of the prophet Jeremiah. And in 1975, a small clay lump, which is referred to in archeological terms, a bullae, it's like a ring or a stamp that was used to indicate when one is sending a message, they have a wet clay, wet wax, and then they stamp it with their name or the the name of the sender and the, you know, who is to go to. And they found this bullae, it's like a little kind of object there and it was written in that ancient hebrew of the time and it bore the name of the secretary of jeremiah that you read in scripture it said belonging to Birchayu blessed be yahweh son of neriah the scribe this bull eye was discovered just prior to the destruction of jerusalem by the babylonians in the year 586 bc so again it's just uh, showing that these people did exist as recorded in scripture. Then of course, there is David, King David. For a while, there have been people that suggested that David never existed, that he was just a figment of one's imagination. However, in 1993, in the uh, city in the far north section of the kingdom of Israel, of the city of Dan, archaeologists found stone monuments there and it was written by an enemy of Israel, and he was basically recording his exploits there. And lo and behold, written or inscribed on the stone mentions the name David, the house of David. He also mentions the king of Israel. And so those who suggested or advocated that David never existed, well, here is his name written in stone that the man did exist. Then there is Herod the Great, the king who usurped the kingship of Israel. At a place called Masada, which is a, uh, a fortress in the Judean desert just overlooking the Dead Sea. I was excavating in Jerusalem during this time here, but there was a team of volunteers there at Masada. And they were digging up a, uh, basically a 2,000-year-old garbage dump of the, of the period. And lo and behold, they found that piece of uh, clay fragment of a wine jug, and it bore the name of uh, Herod, King of the Jews. And so there is his name. It's the, really the first time that his name is mentioned outside of the scripture. Uh, then this one here, Caiaphas, the high priest. He is, of course, the, the priest that presided over the trial of Jesus. But what you see here is what is called an ushery, a bone box. It was custom at the time when a person deceased, he was placed in a tomb. And then after a period when his body had decayed, the family members or friends would come and they would gather the bones and put it in a box, an ossuary or a bone box. But in 1990, a burial cave was discovered by construction workers. As I mentioned in my last series, that oftentimes some of the great discoveries are often found by accident by tourists and construction workers and others. But this was a classic case of that happening here and when they took this box and they noticed that it was beautifully ornate, which suggested that somebody of importance is there and they took the bones out and they put it all together and they assessed and they saw that there was a 60 year old male there and they saw the name on the side inscribed and it said Yosef Bar Kafa, which what it is it's the name of Joseph son of Caiaphas the very priest that presided over Jesus's trial and so there he is buried. Oh, one other thought here that's kind of striking. The burying of the bones in a box like that was something of a Pharisaic intervention to suggest a resurrection. From what we understand, Caiaphas was of the Sadducean belief system, which did not believe in the resurrection and such. So here in life, he was one thing, and here in death, he was buried like a Pharisee, uh, one who anticipated some kind of a resurrection. Now, whether he believed in that or didn't, whatever the case may be, uh, that's what you have here. another point, but the point that I want to bring out is that Caiaphas did exist at that time. And then there is Pontius Pilate. Now there are two inscriptions that bear his name. They might have been more now since, uh, you know, more archeological, uh, artifacts are being discovered all the time. But the first one was in 1961, uh, an Italian archeological team were excavating in the, uh, the amphitheater at Caesarea by the Mediterranean sea. And there they saw the inscription there, and it said, Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. So there was his name, first time mentioned or found outside of the Bible. But really, the second one there, it's a, it's a ring, uh, and it bore his name. Now, it was actually discovered in 1969, but you could see that it was very hard to decipher because of uh, the age. But because there's been a lot of advancement in the cleaning process, and also the technology that has come about, they were able now to bring some clarity to the inscription there, and lo and behold, it said Pilate. Okay, Purchase Pilate, that's him. So again, these are some of the items that have been found that bore the names of some of these people that did exist. Now, one that has recently come to light and has proven to be quite controversial is this one that is referred to as the James ossuary. Again, remember the bone box when a deceased, Uh, decayed, and the bones are gathered and put into a box here. This was in the home of a a collector, and the inscription on the side there said, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. I should mention here that it's interesting that whenever there's anything related or found suggests the possibility of Jesus' existence or his name inscribed somewhere or something like that, there seems to be a biasness. Thus, there's Those opponents that say, well, that's not what it really means. That's not what it says. And then there is the other group that says, no, this substantiates the fact that Jesus was an actual person that exists because there are some that believe that he was a figment of one's imagination, that he never really existed. But this is something that's worthy to consider and to appreciate. So let's move on here and let's consider, did these events really happen? So the first one, let's deal with the walls of Jericho. Who doesn't know about the story of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, right? You stand there and it's really fascinating. Now, what you see is that the walls weren't cemented together and they came down in one piece, but they kind of crumbled. The the stones, the rocks, the bricks, they all kind of came down and created a ramp so that the Israelite forces were able to uh, siege into the various levels of the city of Jericho there. I remember standing looking at it and the archaeologist said, there it is. It's just been recently excavated, shown how the stones broke up, creating a ramp for the uh, Israelite soldiers to come on in. And I looked down and I said, yeah, I knew that. And he looked at me and he says, well, how could you have known that? This was just recently found. And I said, under, under my breath, I said, well, because the Bible told me so. He didn't say it, but I think some of the others that were around me said, oh, you're one of them, aren't you? go yeah i am (laughs) but anyway the walls of jericho fell uh recorded it in the book of joshua fell the way the scripture describes it and the evidence showed that that's the case then there is samson uh and the philistines i mean a very popular story and uh far as i know at this time here there are about two philistine temples that have actually been found and excavated and what you see there in the photo are the two columns where these wooden pikes or stones would hold up the roof. When you're standing there and you kind of extend your arms out, they're about six feet apart. I found it striking that, you know, you often see, or we often think of Samson all of a sudden looking like a strong man, you know, having these body built, you know, shape. But here, when God gave him the strength to bring down the temples there, only the fingers... Really, just reached the two ends of the columns there that he was able to tumble down, or at least the Lord God gave him the strength to do that. So it was really not Samson's strength, it was the Lord. But anyway, the temples came down, the Philistine temples came down as recorded in scripture very faithfully there. Then there is King Sennacherib. King Sennacherib was an Assyrian king, and he uh, came into Jerusalem and one of his, you know, to destruction there. And what you have and what you see there is a prism that is presently now in the uh, museum in England. And basically what Sennacherib has there is just a chronicle of his events and warfare that he had in Judea. Basically, it says that he destroyed about 46 cities in Judea. But the one striking feature is that he doesn't say that he destroyed Jerusalem or brought anything harm to the city. He seized it, but he did not destroy it. And the fact is, is because the Bible makes very clear in 2 Kings chapter 19 that God, through the prophet Isaiah, had shared with Hezekiah, the king of uh, Jerusalem at the time, that God would not send Ezekiah to destroy Jerusalem. And so it didn't happen. And so there, the only thing that when you read that prism there, he says that all that he can do in regard to Jerusalem is that he had King Hezekiah caged up like a bird in a cage. That's all. So again, that verifies what the scripture said, that God would not allow him to destroy Jerusalem. And there it is uh, recorded by an individual outside of the scripture there. And it's very, you know, striking. And then speaking of Hezekiah, during this time when Sennacherib was in that region there, he seized the city, of Jerusalem. But he then conquered, as I mentioned. But Hezekiah took precautions and he wanted to make sure that in order to withstand a siege that there was suffice water in the city. The Gihon Spring is a spring outside of Jerusalem, of the old city uh, of David. And so he had instructed or designed two groups from one end of the other to divert the water from the outside inside the city walls. So that way they would have ample water supply to withstand a siege. And uh, this tunnel now is kind of referred to as Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can go through it now today. It's very scary. Sometimes the walls are only about two feet apart. It was in the 1830s that a Bible teacher by the name of Edward Robinson, who basically went through it and he recorded the the land and so on. And you read his story. uh, It reads like an adventure book. They were crawling on hands and knees and they had their candles in their mouth and they were riding the distance and so on i mean it's scary even doing it now but yet that tunnel is there again it verifies what hezekiah had instructed as just briefly mentioned in the scripture and it's still there and you can see it and does appreciate the fact that what has been found archaeologically physically is substantiating what the scripture had always said had happened hey Are you between the
0: ages of 18 and 28? Then you need to be going on Origins. Origins is a life-changing experience in the land of Israel for young adults. For 19 action-packed days, you'll enjoy incredible views of the Sea of Galilee, swim in the Mediterranean and Dead Seas, hike through the Holy Land, explore Israel's ancient caves, serve the Israeli people, all while making lasting friendships and deepening your faith. You're going to explore the roots of your faith, expect adventure, extend yourself, expand your knowledge of the scriptures, all while exalting our Savior. I want to see you in Israel with origins. You can find out information by going to foi.org forward slash origins. Again, that's foi.org forward slash origins, and we'll see you in
1: Israel. And then, of course, there's crucifixion. This was something that uh, the Romans practiced. They did not invent it, they perfected it into this horrid way of capital punishment. But the one thing that's interesting is that with all the crucifying that had taken place, there has been no physical evidence ever found until 1968, where again an accidental discovery of an archaeological site, a tomb, was found. And you know, the rules there, whenever like a construction crew, comes upon an archaeological site, they have to stop, they have to notify the antiquity authorities, they have to send a group over to look it over to to decide whether it's significant or not, and then to basically take up some of the items that are in there that is important. And so a tomb complex was uh, accidentally discovered in 1868, just northeast of Jerusalem. And again, an ossuary box, a bone box again, there was a bunch of them there, but one of them, they opened up, and lo and behold, it signified, or they showed a young Jewish uh, person there who had been crucified. And what you see there in this photo is two heel bones fused together with a seven and a half inch iron nail. As you can see at the end of the nail, there's a curve there, and apparently what is surmised surmises is that after this individual had finally died on the cross, the Romans would pull the nails out and then give the body to the family or the friends and so on for burial. But in this case here, that nail had hit some kind of a knot, something inside the wooden stake, and the nail wouldn't come out. So apparently they amputated the feet and so and the nail remained in there, and thus he was buried with uh, the nail still intact, only to be discovered uh, in 1968. But again, it's a physical evidence to show that crucifixion did take place as recorded in Scripture. All right, let's look at what about those other things. (laughs) First of all, there is this one here, the wall of partition, wall of partition. This was a barrier partition uh, on the temple mount that basically forbidding uh, non-Jews, Gentiles from going any further into the temple inner courts. Now, there's a scripture that I want to draw attention to that would shed some light and significance to this barrier warning here. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And what the Apostle Paul is writing and saying here is that, that at one time there was the separation of Jews and Gentiles there at the temple and the temple being the physical representation of uh, God's presence in the midst of his people. But then with the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, he has removed that barrier so that now both the Jew and the Gentile have equal access to the very presence of God. Uh, they has to be followed in the way God has so decreed and designed, but both now have equal access to the Lord. And so that uh, was one of the uh, many warning signs placed all around the temple area. There, warning non-Jews from approaching to the inner sanctuary. If you're not of Jewish background. And then the other feature here uh, is the earliest depiction of the menorah. When the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in the year AD 70, they took some of the artifacts from the temple and they paraded down in Rome as part of the uh, victory procession, along with many of the uh, prisoners that they took. And you can see the menorah. The menorah is the seven-branch oil lamp that was part of the furnishings inside the temple area. And so some excavations were done shortly after the Six-Day War of the Jewish section, which was pretty much destroyed in many ways because of the fighting that went on. And they came upon some of the homes that were there. And in one of the homes, there was this graffiti on the wall there. A depiction of the uh, the menorah, and this is the earliest uh, depiction of that artifact that was part of the uh, temple at that time, and thus showing that hey, you know, it it was really there and it served its purpose. Then there is this one here that's really kind of controversial a little bit because some people just whenever anything related to Jesus, uh, there's always you know all kinds of doubts and doubts and things that arises. But this one is striking here because. After Jesus was crucified, and then he died, and then he was buried, the religious leaders came to Pontius Pilate because they were aware that one of the prophecies, of the many prophecies concerning the Messiah, that when he would die, that he would rise again. And so they came to Pontius Pilate with this request, as I'll read to you here from Matthew chapter 27, verse 64. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure unto the third day, lest... His disciples, Jesus' disciples, come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception would be worse than the first. So they were concerned that Jesus could be the Messiah and that he will rise on the third day. And so they wanted to make sure that Pilate would somehow secure that tomb to keep it from being stolen by the disciples or someone and thus they'll start spreading what they consider to be a rumor or a lie that Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, this tablet here that you see is believed to be an official Roman response to the disappearance of Jesus' body from the tomb. It was written in Greek, issued by a Roman emperor. Many believe it was probably Claudius, whose reign was from AD 41 to 54. And the tablet, it's in marble. It was found in a synagogue in Caesarea Maritime there in 1962, and what it says there in many, many words, it served as a warning of sentence of death to anyone who is caught removing bodies from tombs in order to propagate what they called a wicked intent. For Rome, you can imagine how offended they were that someone or a group would start suggesting that someone that they crucified actually lived. Rome felt that when they crucify you and you die, you stay dead. And so the whole resurrection message was such an affront to the Romans that they had to issue a decree like this warning of the possibility of people desecrating tombs, stealing bodies, and then going about suggesting that a resurrection has happened. So it's a significant find. It's referred to as the Nazareth inscription. Then there is the Dead Sea Scrolls. This has to be the most important archaeological find of our time, really. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered uh, in a series of about 12 caves around uh, 1946 to 1956 by Bedouin shepherds and archaeological teams. And it's scripture. You know, in John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are that which testify of me. That's what Jesus said. You search the scripture and you'll find that which you're looking for in terms of heaven, the gift of heaven and, and salvation. And so these scrolls are important because they are a tangible evidence that God's word is real and it's everlasting. And so it's a great find. I want to close with this thought here. It's really looked upon as the oldest biblical quotation that has been discovered to date here. It was discovered in 1979 by some archeological groups and they were excavating very near uh, the Temple Mount and they came upon a tomb complex, uh, which dates back to the time of the first temple. That would be the time of David and Solomon very early. They found many artifacts there, but they found this really tiny uh, amulet that was encased in a in a metal casing here. And it took about three years or more to actually open it because it has to be very delicately treated and open. And they opened it up and they found very old Hebraic type of uh, etching and writing. And lo and behold, it turns out to be. The oldest quotation of the scripture of the priestly benediction as found in the book of Numbers, chapter six, verse 24 and 26. And so kind of like to close with this thought here, because again, these artifacts, these items here, they're they're interesting. And they, if you already have a, a belief in the in the word of God without the evidence, without the physical things, it just sheds more light and it just confirms and just shows that uh, that what's recorded in the word of God is the word of God, took place here in time and space it didn't happen in some faraway planet somewhere it wasn't the imagination of someone's thoughts and creating these stories but they are real and so this is a great verse to end because this omelet by the way could have been something like a necklace or it was a bracelet and the words were these the lord bless thee and keep thee the lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee the lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace shalom Again, thank you for this honor and this privilege of allowing me to share some of these thoughts and interests that I have in biblical archaeology. There are a lot, a lot more things that have been found and have come to light. And so I would encourage you to avail yourself as you hear about them, to look them up and appreciate its significance and value. Again, God bless each and every one of you. Until next time. Shalom.
0: Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOIEquip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.